Welcome to the Ember Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today as we gather together to wrestle with the ways that these ancient texts collide with our everyday lives as 21st century people. Using art, music, and the world around us as our guide, we hope to breathe new life into these texts and that our conversations spark as much curiosity and creativity for you as they do for us. Hi, I'm Jeremy Grafe. I lead Ember Faith Community here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Hi, I'm Allison Spooner, and I'm the pastor at Faith Emmanuel and Hope Presbyterian Churches. Hi, I'm Kelsey Wallace, and I'm a PhD candidate at Drew University. For this season of the podcast, we're taking a look at the book of Jonah. We'll be reading Jonah not as a retelling of historic events, but as an ancient novel, and we'll explore its themes of call, repentance, and God's mercy. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That, that is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it to come over Jonah, to give shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die. He said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, Yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than a 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This week on the podcast, we're in Jonah chapter 4, and we're talking about Jonah the petulant child and whether it's right for him to be angry. Thanks for joining us. Jonah's really annoyed in this chapter. Every every time I read this, I can't help but put attitude into his voice, and he's angry. So, um, what do we think about that? I mean, in some ways, he has every right to be really annoyed. These people, like significantly wronged him and his people and we're not talking about like the kind of you know things that we get mad at people for like we mentioned in previous weeks like oh you said something mean to a friend of mine or oh i don't agree with you politically or you know oh we have different theological views like 
we're thinking like rape and pillage and murder here and and god just forgave him which in some ways is so incredibly hopeful and powerful and such a a somewhat i'd say unexpected image of divine mercy from this you know typically old testament warrior god image that we hear about i mean there's that repeated question of is it right for you to be angry so I think that's I think that's one of the things the text asks asks us to at least consider. Is it is Jonah right to be angry? And right and understandable are two different things. Right. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I don't want to minimize the damage through generations that conquering nations can bring. But I mean, what does it matter for Jonah's life in particular if the Assyrians are not punished by God? I don't know. I don't. Well, I mean, the main thing that that gets highlighted for me, like, even knowing the significant amount of trauma, like, it's hard for me not to read this and see. It's hard for me to read this and not see Jonah as petulant. Yeah. he, He almost seems like a spoiled child. Oh, it didn't go my way, so I'm I'm so angry I want to die, which is like something that I tend to associate with like a small child when they don't get their way. I don't think about that as like a behavior that's in any way appropriate for a prophet. <laughs> right. So it's it's it kind of has that absurdity that we've been talking about kind of laced into it. But again, I mean it's it's not what it's not what humans do. It's not what a human actor does. It's what God does. I mean, and I think that's that's the power of this. I mean, we're again, we're not we're not looking at Jonah as though it's a historical document. We're looking at Jonah like it's more like a novel. And so, how do we read? How do we read into the the symbolism of that? How do we look at it in terms of metaphor? There's there's such a a, a powerful. Um, there's such a powerful imprint of God's incredible mercy and that God's justice is not our justice. Like we tend to think about retributive justice, not restorative justice. I mean, our actual like our actual criminal justice system is based on retribution, not really restoration. So it's like that's not really an abstract. I think if this is what god's justice looks like this is an image of divine mercy that that's really really powerful and hopeful if if god is willing to and capable of restoring healing redeeming even an oppressor like assyria like how much more does is god capable of redeeming our own broken relationships or our own um kind of community failures or you know what have you and I, and I think that the fact that this kind of ends on a question like why shouldn't I pity Nineveh where there are more than 120,000 people that don't know the right hand from their left or in other words where there are so many people that need my presence in their lives yeah why isn't that super hopeful that and, actually oh, and go con- ahead and kind of convicting 
Well, it points to the the desire on God's part to restore and God's desire to be in relationship with humanity. I think it also points to our inability to um, to fully bring restoration and reconciliation without God. God is in is in is the one in position to um, to forgive and to redeem. And in some ways, too, I think as part of that, it shows how all along the story of Jonah, there are so many times that all throughout Jonah is unwilling. But there are these partners that kind of show up in the work that maybe Jonah never would have guessed that they would have been partners, like the sailors or even the king of Nineveh or the fish. (laughs) I mean, there are so many partners that come along the way that are, they're not able to complete the work, but they have a hand in it. So God is working through so many different channels to bring about restoration and justice and shalom, that that perfect peace. I think that's an incredibly beautiful thing. And like you say, very hopeful. And it gives you a glimpse of what might be possible of what like, the kingdom or the kingdom might actually look like in the sense that it's not just humans too it's creation it's the waters it's the fish it's the animals wearing sackcloth like it's it's all it's so many disparate pieces pulled together to accomplish redemption like it's god using nature it's god using people and it's god using the least likely arguably people yeah, I wouldn't say that Jonah is a very likely prophet. He uh, seems to be uncooperative the whole time. What do we make of this bush? Those few verses are kind of like the microcosm of the whole story, right? Like there's this, there's God's provision that's being shown and then taken away so that Jonah gets it. Like, this doesn't come from you. You didn't do this. This is God's work. It's it's that reminder of the way that we're provided for. And it's not it's not entirely up to us. That's a very striking image of contingency in the sense of like the everyday human kind of contingency too. Like God makes things to grow, God makes the wind to blow and the sun to shine in a very kind of you know somewhat typical ancient image of the God that allows you to live, that provides you with harvest, that, you know, changes the seasons and makes the rainfall so that you can eat. And I think the thing with the worm is, is, you know, look how fast this can all fall apart. Yeah. And yet the worm is also part of it. One of those partners, like Jeremy was saying, unlikely partners. Um, Worms got to (laughs) eat. It's that whole idea of God as sustainer Mm -hmm. in, I think, a more powerful way than we typically, I don't know, I feel like we throw that word around, the Lord sustains me. But especially in the ancient world, that was understood to be like, literally every moment, I am sustained, I am alive, I'm walking around on the earth, only because of God's continued... uh, allowance of it yeah um god continues to allow me to be alive and thus i am 
which is not an idea that I <laughs> is maybe popular in the modern world or even we, that we come across at all. I, I think it comes back to that, for me, that idea of trust. And, and I've said before, this is something I find really difficult, in part because I'm capable of taking care of myself in some kind of basic ways of, like, I can feed myself, I can reasonably expect there to be food in my fridge and a roof over my head and water coming out of the faucet that's drinkable because of where I live and, you know, my kind of economic stability. Um, That isn't true for everybody everywhere today, let alone, you know, thousands of years ago, but there's a way in which that means that God's provision, I don't have to rely on God's provision in the same way that someone else might. You don't see it that way. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're not experiencing that as viscerally. Yeah, and it makes it makes trust. It makes me hold that trust more loosely. Yeah. Well, we have, like you said, I mean, we have layers of technology and a kind of like illusion of economic stability that insulates us. Like we don't, we know we might not necessarily feel the same way because we're not dependent on like the harvest that we can see from our house. Like if if the harvest in our own area fails, it's all right because we can chuck it in from somewhere else, at least in this part of the world. I mean, if we lived in Syria, for example, I mean, I imagine provision looks really different. It reminds me of the sense I got when uh, the three of us traveled to Haiti on our cross-cultural trip back in 2016 just that there was an overwhelming sense from the people we met there of being remarkably in the moment in a way that I can't even, I can't, I don't think I can fully be in the moment as they were in our society. But there was just total reliance on the community and the provision of the earth and of God and, um, it's a very different way of living, sort of liberating in a way, though. I it was um, it was empowering to meet those people. So we might look to the Bible to give us definitive answers. Jonah kind of subverts that for us a little bit by ending on a question. So, if Jonah is inviting us into a question to wrestle with that a little bit. What does that mean? Is it fair for us to be angry? What does repentance mean? How does this sit with us? Can we start to look at the Bible maybe less as an instruction manual for our lives and more as a tool for discernment? As we work through this text, we want to make sure that we are also in conversation with you, our listeners. So we invite you to reach out to us with questions, comments, And we'll be addressing these as we go on in subsequent podcasts. You can send your questions to emberfaithcommunity at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you. The Ember Podcast is a production of Ember Faith Community. Your hosts are Jeremy Grafe, Allison Spooner, and Kelsey Wallace. Music written and performed by Subaltern Project. All rights reserved. 2017.